Somebody actually wants me to hear this? That's, that's what I didn't say on purpose. By the way, thanks, Begging. You jumped in there and did that, put that on the... Nice job. Should we, uh, should we tell Mike you're taking over his position? Okay, can you tell if it's recording me or not? It is. Okay, thank you. I don't have an upper pocket, so this may get a little strange. Uh, in the third chapter of the book of John, there's a story about Nicodemus. I'm going to read some verses from that. I just want you to keep in mind, I'm going to keep that right there. I just want, to, want you to keep that illustration in mind as we go through the message this morning. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, of a truth, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, with the puzzled dog look, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And we'll stop for a second and point out that this was Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. You didn't get that way simply because you were born Jewish. There was some training that went into it. So in my mind, when he asks this question, I think he's being a little sarcastic. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh. And whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Jesus knew he did. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and yet receive ye not our witness? If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Nicodemus, being a member of the Jewish ruling class, possibly you could have expected him to immediately and even publicly engage in a 
lively theological debate with Jesus. In chapter 2 of John, Jesus had just performed his very first miracle. Remember what that was? Turning the water into wine. Maybe Nicodemus would want to get involved in a lively discourse about that and what Jesus had just done in the temple, which was overthrow the money changers, but he didn't. Instead, he asked a question that he probably really already knew the answer to. What do I have to do? Go back inside a woman and be born again? Well, did you recognize that when Nicodemus did go to Jesus, he went to him under the cover of night. He didn't even talk to him during the day. He then decides to engage in small talk rather than the real issue that Jesus was bringing up. I'm sure that Nicodemus would rather have gotten into some bantering with Christ about how a person could enter the womb again and be born, but Jesus wouldn't have any part of that. He got down to business. Jesus looked past Nicodemus' status, and he did have status, as a member of the ruling class, and even past his image as an expert interpreter of the Scriptures, which the Scripture says he was. Jesus saw Nicodemus as a man who needed to hear how to enter the kingdom of God. To you and me, the concept of being born again is not foreign. Today, we have a term much like that in furniture applications. You would put this on your furniture and it will make the wood look good as new. We even got beauty treatments that makes your skin rejuvenated and look like you're 20 years younger. I want to see that. But those words, born again, must have puzzled Nicodemus. They did somewhat. And at this point in Scripture, chapter 3, John explains the entire point, part and parcel, of the plan of salvation. How must one be saved? Had I been there, I would have marveled and my jaw dropped open. My eyes would have been focused at hearing this because it was strange. No one, no one from Moses' time forward had ever talked about such an event as being born again. Unknowingly, through the small stuff, through the small talk, and through the details that don't matter, Nicodemus opened the door for all of us for centuries to come to hear the most significant words spoken for God so loved the world in John 3.16 I would hope that Nicodemus would spare the small stuff and the garble and focus on the real issues of life and the scripture tells us that Nicodemus was a man who followed Christ so apparently he wanted to understand and he decided to understand. And he left behind the sand. And he left behind the pebbles. 
And I want to go back to that illustration for just a second because we all have those things in our lives. But there's one other thing there that I didn't speak of, and I will in just a few moments. But what I really wanted to get across to you is that life is much more complex than a jar with golf balls, stones, and sand in it. But on the other hand, we can make life a lot simpler for ourselves if we'll concentrate on the things that really matter. In Luke, the 10th chapter, there's a passage of Scripture about Mary and Martha. Now, a lot of us, including myself, had the preconceived idea that Mary was very, very uh, religious and, and, and very spiritual, and that Martha was not, that she was more of a practical person. But I want to point out some things about Martha that may help us understand a little better here what's going on. You recall at one point Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you worry over some things that you don't need to worry about? Well, I want you to see this. Jesus and his followers were on their way, as was usual, teaching, healing, forgiving, and they came upon this village where Mary and Martha lived. Now, when they got there, they hadn't called ahead for a reservation. They didn't uh, plan anything on the Internet. They just showed up. And yet Martha, the Scripture says, accepted him as a guest. Now I know for the many of us, we see Mary and Martha as two different people. We usually think of Mary as being very spiritual and Martha as just practical. But Mary was the one that anointed Jesus' feet with oil. Okay, spiritual application. Martha was concerned with serving Jesus also. She was spiritual. She wanted to serve Jesus also as she tried to prepare a meal. Serving Jesus as he traveled, Martha was therefore showing her spiritual side and she wasn't just practical. In Luke 10 and 39, speaking of Martha, it said she had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So Martha was there too. We tend to draw this line and say, well, she just wasn't a very, a very Christian-like woman when I believe she very much was. That's not to change everybody's opinion on anything. It's just something I wanted to point out because I think Martha got kind of a, a low score and maybe she deserves a little bit more. Jesus knew Mary and Martha and their brother, Lazarus. So to help dispel this notion that Martha was a, just a worrier or fretting most of the time and she was less spiritual and more practical, I want to read to you from John, the 11th chapter, verse number 5. I must have the same kind of pages that Brother Dude has with these new Bible. John 11 and 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, meaning Lazarus, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let's go on to Judea again. Now, if you recall, they tried to stone Jesus in Judea, and now he wanted to go back. Why? He wanted to go back for a friend. Now, the sand would have told him, eh, that's a long way. Maybe I just ought to pray for him and that'll do. And the pebbles would have said, well, it's important. You know, it'd be a good thing to go back. But the golf ball said, that's my beloved friend Lazarus, whom I love. That's a big deal. Let's go back. His disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest there thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. They had to see it. I talked about the Missouri factor in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago. Most of the time, people trust their sight before they trust their faith. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Skipping down to verse number 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. That's about two miles. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. I'm going to repeat Verse number 22, Martha said, But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. I can't speak for you, but I can visualize Mary weeping, crying. And Martha speaking to Jesus. And Jesus speaking to Martha. And he tells her, your brother's going to live again. I haven't lost a brother or a sister yet. I've lost family members. But if any time the Spirit of God had come to me and said, you're going to see them again. You're going to be able to hug them, kiss them, embrace them. I would have been 
blown away. I don't know how else to say it. So was Martha not a very spiritual person? No. I think she was very spiritual. And that's not what this message is about this morning. But I point this out because it will take me back to the jar. Martha was a very, very spiritual woman. Yes, for that one incident about which we know, she seemed intent on a detail of lesser importance. But Martha never let that lesson Jesus taught her leave her. She didn't take offense to what he said to her, Martha, Martha. Martha knew Jesus loved her, just like he loved Mary, just like he loved Lazarus. She didn't let this detail deter her from being a truly spiritual person. With the illustration, I use golf balls, pebbles, and sand. And each item has a different size. It becomes more and more apparent that the big things in life, the passions, the loves, the true joys that we have, they should take up more space than the other things, even though there are some other things that are important. But certainly the small things in life are always going to be there. We can't always replace the things that bring us joy. Sometimes something that has brought us joy, a family member, something that we used to love to do that we just can't do anymore, sometimes it goes away. And sometimes our passions, our joys, the things that really make us happy, go away because we didn't realize it, but we ignored them. Even some of the most important things, like the pebbles in that jar, they require our attention, and we should take care of them, but the small stuff in life, it's never going to completely go away. It will always be there. If not one detail, then another. The less importance we give to the small stuff, the less important it will be to us. Nicodemus and Martha didn't really seem to have many things in common, but they did share a common trait. They both shared, they both believed that the Lord was with them no matter what. Nicodemus understood that the questions that he was being asked were for a bigger and better purpose. In both cases, Jesus had a keen desire to see in these people the same thing. That's the bigger picture. Eternity is real. I think about a time not too long ago when my wife and I and my daughter and someone she was seeing at that time visited the cemetery in Williamsburg, Ohio, my hometown. And we saw tombstones there that were... Am I correct if I said the late 1700s and early 1800s? I mean, some of them were like that and bent over and they've been there for a long, long time. To those people, they're in eternity. Now, we living don't really have a good grasp of what eternity is. Not really. I, I, don't, I don't have a, a great picture of what it's going to be like. I, I can read my Bible and I can surmise, but that is eternity. It's real. How we prepare for it is what makes life full or empty, like that jar. 
There's room for more in that jar, and I'm going to get to it in just a couple of minutes. But what it appears to me is it takes confidence in how to live the right way, and it takes meekness. It's one of the words that came up in Sunday school this morning. Brother Bagan did a great job this morning in Sunday school. That word meekness has been really terribly misdefined. In the Greek, the word means humble, gentle, and mild. You can be humble and be 6'10 and weigh 400 pounds. You can be gentle and be the same size. Same thing with mild. But all those don't seem to equate to meekness the way that we've thought of it over the years. Those are not synonyms for weak. As the world and society are prone to do, twisting a word to have it fit a particular meaning does not change the meaning. It just changes the context. And you know, Brother Dude has cautioned us when we read, and I do too. Be careful that what you read is in context. If the first uh, distinction that you have of Martha is that she was just a practical person, we've missed some other points about Martha that I've pointed out that means that she's a very spiritual person. All in all, the message this morning is don't sweat the small stuff. Those sand pebbles, if we wanted to take the time, we could empty that jar and we could count how many golf balls are in there. I didn't do it, but I imagine there's probably about 20. The pebbles be more difficult, but we could count those too. The sand, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to sweat the small stuff because the small stuff is exactly what the enemy of your soul wants to try to fill you with. The things that you probably can't change, probably in a week or so, or maybe even an hour, won't even care about, and the things that won't make any difference. So let's not sweat the small stuff. Can you really change it? Usually not. If so, doing so, keeping it might point to the fact that you can glorify God with it. Will you change anything by spending time agonizing over situations? The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee. How much more will God honor us if we refuse to fret over details that really don't matter that much? Probably most of us have had a struggle with how others see us. At such times I'd remind you that whoever's trying to pull you down is already below you. I stated this morning with an illustration about these golf balls and the pebbles in the sand. But there's one thing that I didn't mention.
there's no small cell. The jar is the barriers that we create life. The whole lump of what we need. It's our belief. It's our It's our ability to witness to other people because you see, that gives us strength. And if this jar is made out of paper, or net, you might hold some of the time. <coughs> The jar is important. It doesn't make any difference how big the jar is. It doesn't make any difference if it's tall or wide or round or square. It's your jar. You create the guidelines. You create the barriers. Anything attacked from the outside, if your barrier isn't strong enough, it goes right through this one takes out first. Thank you, love. Thank you, really care about. Your packages. We all know what happens. The work stuff is still there. Don't sweat the small stuff. Leave that outside the boundaries. If you have to, change. That's a word I use a lot. Change the barriers if you have to. Because the devil likes to change his method of attack. Terry was telling me just this morning that they now are having a rash of automobile thefts. Uh, thefts, thefts. Where'd that word come from? automobile thefts and somehow the people who are stealing the cars can use the USB port to get in and start the car well that's new never heard of that before I don't even know how they do it things are coming at us from different directions all the time and if we stick with the same old guidelines all the time even though they've worked pretty well we still may need to change things from time to time for a new attack. How we do that? Well, in my opinion, it's done by attending church and listening to the message. Because that message was inspired to the person that delivered it by God Himself. So you're hearing from God. I think it's study. There is no better way to be convinced of your relationship with Jesus Christ than to study His Word. He is the Word. On Thursday night, Brother Dude introduced, uh, introduced us to a question. And he said, I want you to write this down, and I'm gonna, I've got a couple of thoughts already. But he said, what things do you think are missing from Christian lives today? And he named two things. Two of you, or those who were in Sunday school, or excuse me, church Thursday evening, remember what it was. He said one was humility. And the second one was patience. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me when I tell you this morning that we live in a fast-paced world. At the grocery store, quick checkout. 
You can now get your driver's license renewed online. You don't have to wait in line. We want to speed things up because when people have to wait, they get impatient. And when they get impatient, sometimes they get out of character and they say and do things that they really don't mean and really don't want to convey. Brother Began read in Sunday school this morning a scripture, the patient or the peace that passes all understanding. And I often add to that and a lot of misunderstanding too, because peace is a moving target. It changes from person to person. Your peace is not mine, mine is not yours. I don't know what you have to have to have true peace. I hope it's one of those golf balls that you have true peace. But if you find yourself outside of a situation where you feel good about yourself, where you have confidence, where you have humility, don't sweat the small stuff. Find those things in life that have meaning, that have purpose, that go farther than just a few minutes or a few days. Given another shot at life, I would seize every minute. Have you ever heard the term carpe diem? That's Latin for seize the day. I would seize every minute, look at it and really see it and live it and never give it back. I would stop sweating the small stuff. Don't worry about who doesn't like you, who has more, or who's doing what. Instead, cherish the relationships we have with those who do love us. That's all I have this morning. I know that it was short, but I hope that it gave you some insight into Mary, into Nicodemus, and to the things in life that really matter. You don't have to use golf balls. You don't have to use pebbles or sand. You don't even have to use a jar. But what I believe that is important for each person is to have a clear understanding of what our barriers are. What will we not allow in our lives under any circumstances? And what if we're doing, we'll stop doing. And what if we need to do, we'll begin doing. Now I'll close by saying this. At camp meeting this year, I was very impressed with the speaker. And she said, do you realize that if you'll read five minutes a day, your Bible, if you'll read it five minutes a day, just five minutes a day, you will cover the entire Old Testament in 40 weeks. Now, I don't know. Some readers are faster than others. But that got me thinking. Five minutes. What if I carved out ten minutes? Ten minutes? Ten minutes, really? That's all? Well, certainly I'd be reading the Bible in a whole year. And when I go through the, the list of Scripture readings, very few of them take more than about ten minutes. Most of them, that's about right. So if we want to read a little bit more, how about getting a stopwatch and putting on 11 minutes or 12 minutes? Now, I'm being facetious, but my point is we can always do more. We can always do a little bit more. And there's other areas where we can do a little bit less.
A little less worrying, a little less fretting, a little more understanding is what are really the small things? What is the small stuff in life? It pales in comparison, as it should, to the big picture. I'm just going to tell you on my list of brother dude gave me to write out, one of them that I'm going to put down is a true insatiable appetite for seeing souls saved. You don't even hear that anymore. Every once in a while you'll turn on a TV preacher or internet or whatever and they'll talk about salvation. But only occasionally. Just because it's a old term doesn't mean it doesn't have a new application. That's one of the things I'm going to put on my list that I have an appetite to see people come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to try harder, more diligently, with more effort, more consistently to not sweat the small stuff. Be an example, not an exception. And people will notice the golf balls in your life, the things that bring you joy, that bring you real happiness, real peace, real contentment. Like Brother Megan spoke about this morning in Sunday school, contentment. Very few people, are, unfortunately, are content. I'm not saying you shouldn't be striving after different things in life. You should. But you also need to be content. And with that meek, which is gentle and mild. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that you spent with us this morning. Our prayer, God, is that something will ignite just a spark and will enable us to become better people. Not just for the kingdom of God, but for each other. For everyone that we touch. May they see in us a big picture someone who actually does care and wants to share what they have that is such a wonderful, incredible gift that is surprising sometimes that we don't share it more. So Father, thank you this morning. We pray that those who are vacationing would have rest. They'd return to us safely. We're grateful for what we have. Just like when we eat a meal, we thank you for what you give us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.